Welcome to another edition of the Employment Law Show. And my good pal, Mackenzie Irwin, courtesy of Sanfiru Tamarkin LLP, is with us uh, to do the show and do all the heavy lifting, really. I just toss everything over to you, my friend. Uh, up on the uh, the show today, main topic uh, that we'll get to a little later on, shattering severance myths. There's tons of these. We could have done a list of 500, but we're going to narrow it down a little bit more than that. Mackenzie will work our way through that and uh, email anytime if you want to send one of those along help at employmentlawyer.ca and the website that was built and constructed freely for you to use anonymously as well called pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. There's lots of information about your employment law rights on the website and baked into that is the severance calculator. It does exactly what the title says. It'll tell you how much severance you are actually owed, an accurate number. Easy to uh, easy to run through that particular program. It takes about 30 seconds and it spits a number at the bottom that'll uh, have you... Uh, jumping out of your seat going, wow, I never knew. No, you didn't. That's exactly why the severance calculator was constructed in the first place. So many years ago, in fact, over 2 million people have used it. 2 million have checked out the severance calculator, again, available at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. But I digress, my friend. You got a couple things to uh, open the show with, some matters you've been working off uh, on. Mackenzie, what do you got for me, pal? Yeah, so I had a very interesting call this week with a woman who was, she's about 42 years old. She'd been working with her company for eight years as the accounts payable clerk. And now this woman, she's she's a single mother. She has two children. Um, and during the pandemic, she was working exclusively from home without any issues, um, but was recalled to the office recently, like many of us were, and now she's working nine to five from the office. Mm-hmm. Now she got a call the other week from her um, children's after school program, letting her know that unfortunately due to budget constraints, they were canceling the after school program and they would only be continuing for, for one more week. And so they really left her scrambling to find alternate childcare because she relied on this after four program to to um, take care of her children while she sure. finished yep. her work day at, at work. And so she took this issue to her employer and she requested, you know, okay, I'm willing to work, come in extra early as long as I'm able to leave, pick up my my children, um, take them home and then complete the rest of my work day from home. Um, and so this was hopefully a temporary arrangement while she registered them for another school program. Interestingly, her employer refused. Um, They Hmm. said, nope, sorry, you need to be in the office 9am to 5pm. And if you don't, if you can't do that, we're going to have to terminate your employment. This put her in an impossible decision. She has to decide, okay, do I, you know, between her job and making sure that her her children who are young, they're not able to take care of themselves, um, making sure that they have proper supervision during uh, after school and and um so yeah she made the decision obviously she said i'm really sorry she started i i need to pick up my children but i'm you know i can and i have been over the past two years i was doing my work from home and there was no issue so can you please do this they said nope terminated her employment and offered her eight weeks of severance wow yes so I think this is, I'm always very surprised that employers still don't know this, but you should really know by now, never mess with mothers. (laughs) That's Uh, right. 
never mess with their maternity leave. Just don't mess with mothers. Um, so this is absolutely a wrongful dismissal. Not only is she entitled to, um, they only offered her eight weeks. Um, she's 42 years old. She was there for, with the company for over eight or for eight years. Um, and she's, she's entitled to, to significantly more severance than what's been offered. But in addition to that, there is a really um, important uh, discrimination claim, a human rights yep. violation here. Now, many people don't know, but there's, uh, there is uh, a ground for discrimination on mm. the basis of family status. That's right. <laughs> and your family status includes any kind of child care needs that you, that you have. Um, and so it, particularly in this situation, given that it was a last minute cancellation of her, of her after four program. And it was really only temporary that they needed, that she needed that flexible working hours and working arrangement because she was, she ultimately, it was just to cover her for the time that it would take her to find a new after four program. And so there is, that employer does have a duty to accommodate her childcare needs up to the point of undue hardship. And so I think it's really important here to note that that employer is going to have a very difficult time proving that it was undue hardship for, for them to be flexible with her working hours and allow her to work from home part of the time um, for a temporary period of time, um, particularly given that she was, she was able to complete her, her work from home uh, over the past two years. So it's not a situation where the company needs to set her up with, you know, a new software system, get her a computer, all of that. Even then. Already, exactly. All of that's already in place here. So it's not, I mean, it'll be very difficult for them to prove it was undue hardship for them to, to temporarily accommodate her in that way. So I'm certainly going to help her out here. She's, she's definitely entitled to more severance that, than what was offered, probably up, upwards of 10 months of severance. And in addition to that, there's a very strong claim here for uh, human rights uh, damages for that discriminatory uh, conduct. Yeah, it's interesting if you look at that, the eight weeks versus 10 months. I mean, that's five times what they actually uh, offered her, which, you know, is, is wrongful right away. But I mean, to the point of undue hardship, it's not as if she was asking for a whole new wing on the building in an elevator. I mean, it's, you know, it's something she'd already done before. They'd accommodated her before. So this doesn't even come close to rising to the level of undue hardship for sure. I mean, it was, it was just a, a silly maneuver by the employer in the first place, right? Absolutely. And so I'm, I'm finding that there, especially with this, uh, you know, with the, all of this talk about a recession, employers are really looking for any um, any right. opportunity to cut costs, and so they're really looking to downsize. And this, I, 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 you know, this could very well be one of those opportunities that they thought, oh, great, here we have an opportunity to let someone go. She's self-selecting, and we're gonna we're gonna try and get rid of her by only paying out um, a, a very small amount. And and they've made the wrong call here because. She, she's very, um, you know, she, it was very good that she reached out because she's certainly entitled to more and, and likely not only more severance, but uh, possibly that very strong um, human rights violation as well. What other sort of things, Mackenzie, would fall into that banner? I mean, if you, I guess you got a sick child at home you have to take care of, or maybe an elderly parent that's, you know, got dementia, to, for an example. I mean, when, I'm, when you're talking about past the point of undue hardship and family status, what kind of things would qualify? 
Yeah, in terms of family status, certainly um, any kind of childcare needs, obviously, but um, it also extends to um, elderly parents. Um, the the issue with the, with the elder, elderly parents is that, or or in any um, family status discrimination, is that the employee has to really uh, show that they they've looked for alternate um, right. means before. Um, asking or requesting that accommodation. So it the uh, duty to accommodate is is really a two-way street and it does uh, require the employee to kind of be flexible and work with the employer as well. Um, it also requires the employee to let the employer know that they do need that accommodation. So um, it's it doesn't require the employer to do perfect accommodation. Right. Um, it's not the best uh, accommodation for that employee. So the employee doesn't get to choose what accommodation they or request what accommodation they want. Um, it's a two way street. So there are. Yeah, exactly. There's there's a variety of um, uh, families status uh, factors that are covered. But um, but it's it is a two way street. Okay, Mackenzie, let's get into this before we uh, take a break here in about three minutes. That would be shattering severance myths. As I mentioned, there's a ton of these, but you've kind of whittled the list down a little bit because we'd be here all weekend. So uh, we'll probably get to five or six of these. First one, when you are fired, you only receive one or two weeks for every year of service. That is the overwhelming belief pretty much with everybody who hasn't heard this show before, right? Exactly. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so it's it's certainly a myth. Um, your full severance entitlements could be up to 24 months. Uh, depending on a number of factors. It's depending on language in an employment contract, your age, your years of service, uh, your position, and and the availability of comparable employment at the time that you were terminated. So in terms of the language in, in an employment contract, the vast majority, what we're talking about is uh, termination clauses in an right. employment contract. And the vast majority of those termination clauses are not enforceable which means that you're you're entitled to your full severance, which could be up to 24 months, not one or two weeks for every year of service. So even if you've signed a contract that has a termination clause in it, you'll want to have that reviewed by an employment lawyer because there are ways that we can challenge the termination clause and you're likely still entitled to your full severance. So even if your termination clause says, you're entitled to, let's say, three weeks per year of service. Um, that termination clause may not be enforceable. Many of them are, in fact, illegal. And so you'd be entitled to, you're still entitled to your full severance. So you shouldn't take the language in your employment contract at face value. It is always um, beneficial to have it reviewed by an employment lawyer because they're, in most instances, we're able to... Um, challenge that termination clause and get you more uh get, increase your entitlements upon termination yeah and i mean the flip side of that is if 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 you don't have a employment contract to begin with say you started working 25 years ago you're uh, you're awesome you're in you're in great hands and if you're an employer i think rather than especially if you're a small maybe a mom and pop shop that doesn't have a robust hr department simply going to google and downloading some you know random document about an employment contract and filling it out is not the way to go. Again, they can use you. Employers can also use you, Mackenzie, to get a 
properly drafted employment agreement uh, from the outset as well. Look, we'll take a short break, get into more of these uh, shattering severance myths here in just a bit as we continue with the Employment Law Show. Stand by. All righty, welcome back. Thanks for hanging through that uh, that wee break. We're going to continue with our chat about sh- uh, shattering severance myths with Mackenzie Irwin, courtesy of San Fierro Tamarkin LLP. Happy to be the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. Don't you know? Reach out to Mackenzie and her uh, her great team. They do great work. one 855 Ca is the way you can send an email along anytime. Maybe we'll get it on the air here. But uh, back to our miss. Number two is this one, Mackenzie. We can expand on this one. Uh, your employer says you've been fired for cause, quotation marks, for cause. So you aren't owed any severance. Sorry. Yeah, this is a this is a great myth. So certainly just cause in employment law has been ref- often referred to as the capital and punishment of employment mm-hmm. law. It's only to be used in the most severe and rare circumstances and when no other option uh, is sufficient. So terminating for cause is when an employer can terminate you without providing you with any severance. The vast majority of the time when an employer asserts just cause for your termination, they don't in fact have just cause. And the allegations or whatever they're relying on to assert just cause actually falls short of the very high threshold. In that case, in most of these cases, you're still entitled to severance. So if you've been terminated for for cause, it's very important that you have your situation reviewed by an employment lawyer because it's likely we can still get you some sort of severance. To exemplify this, there are certain... Uh, instances where the courts have found, you know, even though the employee has um, maybe been been late many times or has made a very large mistake on some calculation, um, these kinds of disciplinary um, instances in employment, even though they are, you know, discipline is likely warranted, Mm-hmm. Um, employers often will just jump and pull the trigger and terminate them for cause just because the employee obviously feels bad about what they did. Something might be very serious in terms of a mistake that they've made. Um, but, and there, and it's unlikely that the employee will really kind of push back on that and, and they'll just accept the fact that, Oh, I've been fired for cause. I made this really bad mistake. Um, it must be justified. Um, most of those employers are not actually justified in, in, in terminating you for cause and much more is needed in terms of disciplinary steps taken before they could terminate you for cause. So the, the circumstances where cause might be um, warranted are, are very, again, it's a very, very high threshold yeah. and, and it's really only reserved for kind of criminal um acts in the workplace such as um you know uh, fraud or or stealing or something along those lines so if, if you have been terminated for cause it is really important to to get it reviewed because it's 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 likely that you are still entitled to some severance again 1-855-821-5900 to reach out after the show to mckenzie and her team anytime okay myth number three your rights to severance expire if you don't accept your employer's offer deadline the old friday at five or whatever's at the bottom of that uh, that severance offer right yeah exactly and i mean obviously when you're being t- if you're being terminated from your employment this is a very stressful time and and you're not really necessarily thinking very clearly 
Um, a termination meeting is a very, very stressful meeting. Um, and employers will sometimes take advantage of that stress that you're under and and try and, and pressure you to sign either on the spot or give you a very tight deadline um, mm-hmm. to sign back your severance offer. And so they put these tight deadlines uh, to accept in for a reason. Um, they're trying to pressure you into accepting likely what's likely a very bad offer. Um, so those tight deadlines or pressure tactics should really be a red flag to you that that you need to get that offer reviewed by an employment lawyer. I, I can't tell you how many times I see someone who comes in and they say, well, you know, they their employer told them that they it's it's a great offer. Um, it's exactly what I'm entitled to under my employment contract. And so I'm not going to get anything better. And the offer's only on the table until Friday. Um, and so severance offers are exactly that. They're usually an opening offer and you shouldn't be intimidated from seeking legal advice and per, and seeing if if you're entitled to more and pursuing your full entitlements if if indeed you are ent- entitled to more. So so no, your severance offer does not expire if you don't accept it by the employer's deadline. Um, you you should always have uh, take the time to have it reviewed by a lawyer, um, mm-hmm. and your employer should actually welcome this step if their offer is truly what you're owed. So if if it is indeed a good offer no no harm done you you've taken the time you've done your due diligence you've got it reviewed by a lawyer and uh the lawyer will tell you you know this is a wonderful offer it's something that 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 you should that you should accept um does that happen very often no No. (laughs) almost almost never i think um i can tell you i think there's maybe maybe there's one time in my in my whole career i've ever seen that there's usually something um, that we can do to to improve it, and so it, again, it is severance offers are are the opening offer, and so you shouldn't feel pressured to accept an employer's offer um, by by a tight dead by a deadline, particularly if that deadline is is quite tight. Yeah. It's always reasonable, and I, I always um, advise my clients to ask for an extension. Especially, you know, lawyers are very busy. Sometimes it's hard to get a, a, an appoint, appointment with a lawyer right away. And so um, it is always reasonable to ask for a little bit of an extension on on that uh, offer to, to have to give you more time to have it reviewed and to, to really think about it. I mean, that's a matter of courtesy or you you have two years, you're just, you're just playing nice and saying, Hey, can I have a, another week or two to just, you know, read this over. Right. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You have up to two years to, to, um, to accept or to, to file a claim. And so certainly, um, you should not take that, um, that those, that tight deadline is really just a pressure tactic. You shouldn't yep. really, um, give it, uh, two, two days. Too much, thought, it too, right? too much thought. Too much thought. It's it's really just um, something that they do to to kind of put a deadline in. Well, again, uh, shattering severance myths. What around number four already? Wow. Okay, you're not owed severance if you are a contractor. Let's open that can of worms. Yes. Yeah. So uh, it's oftentimes if you if I get people who are coming to me that um, they've been working for their company, uh, they signed a, a contract that says that they're an independent contractor. Um, and so they're, they don't believe that they're entitled to severance and they've been let go. Um, and their company is, uh, asserting that they don't owe them anything. 
you know, we know we're ending this contract. We don't need your, your assistance anymore. Um, and they don't pay them any, they don't give them any severance. So there are some individuals who, who are indeed independent contractors. Those are people that are working for many different employers and, uh, or, and many different companies and they're servicing many different, um, uh, they have many different revenue streams for their company, but oftentimes these contractors are actually misclassified. And so they're misclassified because they're either an employee or they are a dependent contractor and they are actually entitled to severance. So if your, uh, if your employment relationship with your employer has been um, mislabeled as a contractor, meaning that you, um, you do derive most of your income or all of your income from the one company, um, you're still in, you're entitled to severance. And so that's something that is really hard for a lot of people to, to, it's shocking to a lot of people because there's, well, well, Mackenzie, I signed this agreement. It's a contra independent yeah. contractor agreement. And so it, the label that's placed on the, on the relationship is not really what matters. What matters is, and what the courts will look at, um, is the uh, what's actually happening between this employer and this worker, and so when when you when you rely in when you're financially dependent on one employer, and that employer dictates dictates what hours you work, when you do your work, how you do your work, they provide you with the tools to do your the the work. Um, your you're not actually a contract independent contractor. You may be an employee or a dependent contractor. And when your employer ends, uh, terminates that relationship, mm -hmm. you're entitled to severance. And again, it's similar to, you know, as, as if there was a, an employment contract in place, you're likely entitled to, you could be entitled to up to 24 months of severance. You know, beyond the, the severance question, Mackenzie, people are going to say, well, uh, I, I hear what you're saying, Mackenzie, but, you know, my boss and I were, you know, we're, we're pretty good friends. We both agreed. He didn't say it. I didn't say it. we both agreed that I'm a contractor and we've been working like that for uh, for quite a while. What's uh, what's the big deal? What's the pitfalls in doing that? Yeah. And so that's oftentimes that is the case and you are still entitled to severance. It's It's not about what the language is or what's been agreed to. It's about what's actually what the, what's actually happening in the employment relationship, and so what the courts realize is that if you're financially dependent and uh, under the control of one employer, even though you've agreed to say I'm a contractor, um, and there are all there are tax reasons why why many people would uh, favor right. that that relationship, but. Um, likely you, you are still a, a, uh, an employee and you're entitled to severance. The entire purpose of the severance is to assist the worker in bridging the gap between employment. And so you're still entitled to those, that protection. Yeah, it's interesting because people get into that trap saying, oh, it's okay. It's for, you know, whatever reasons, you know, it works better for us. Now, 
I mean, if it was that easy, everybody would do it. You know, the firm you work for, everybody would be a contractor. Nobody, everybody would skirt their responsibilities of having to pay severance if everything, you know, came down that way. I mean, it's just, it's simply not that, not that easy just to go about and say, this is what we're going to do. Now, the dependent contractor, what's the threshold as far as that's concerned? 50, 60, 70% of your income from one source or uh, where is it generally? Yeah, so there is no exact formula. The courts really right. approach it as on a case-by-case basis. And so uh, the percentage of your income that comes from a certain employer is, is, again, it's one factor that the courts will consider in determining mm. whether you are a dependent contractor. But certainly the higher percentage of your uh, income that comes from that one employer the more likely you are to be a dependent contractor. And so right. there are decisions that are, are anywhere, you know, as low as like 60%, but um, usually it's upwards of uh, the majority of your income comes from that one, uh, that one employer. And with that, we'll take a short break into a couple more of these shattering severance myths. After that break, we'll continue with the Employment Law Show. Hang on. Beyond that, reaching out to our good pal Mackenzie Irwin uh, here from San Fierro to Market LLP, of course, is one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca. Okay, let's get back into this, Mackenzie, shattering severance myths. Uh, number five. You're only owed the amount of severance agreed to in your employment contract. How about that? Yeah, this is a good one. So often people come to me and they say, well, the employer has offered me exactly what's outlined in my employment contract. So sometimes it says a week, two weeks, three weeks per per year of service. Um, And they just think, okay, I agree to that. I even maybe kind of push back on my my employment contract when we were uh, initially signing it. Um, and I asked for a little bit more and I think, oh, shoot, that's all that I'm entitled to because that's what I agreed to in my employment contract. And so, no, that's that's certainly not true. That is a myth. Um, depending on the language of the termination clause in your employment contract, the entire termination clause could be illegal and offside with the Employment Standards Act. And you could be entitled, it can, it, it basically is uh, not worth the paper that it's written on, and you're still entitled to more. And so I think it's really important to address this myth because often employees just kind of take it at face value. And they say, well, I read the, I read the contract. That's what it says. I signed the contract. I'm not entitled to anything more. And so that's not necessarily the case. And it is certainly, as always, if you've been let go for any, in any circumstances, um, even without an employment contract in place, it's always worthwhile reaching out to an employment lawyer to have it reviewed because likely there's something that we could still do. Um, it could fall into that category where the, the uh, termination clause is unenforceable um, and it's not even worth the paper it's written on and you should nope. be, and you're entitled to, you could be entitled to up to, up to 24 months. And so again, that's, that's, that could be the difference between getting something like, uh, getting a, 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 a six week offer or up to 24 months offer and eight weeks and 24 months. So there's a big difference there and there's a lot of money on the table that you could be, um, you could be passing up if, if you don't have that reviewed and you don't know um, what your what your rights are and what your what your options are. 
even if it's not such a wide gap, a few couple of weeks, few weeks, couple of months difference is still worth a phone call. Just reach out and have that discussion anyway. We'll get to uh, to one more of these shattering severance myths. Number six is this: you have to sign a release in order to receive your severance from your employer. I've never heard that before. Break that one. Yeah, I, I've I've been hearing a lot of this lately, and so people think that that in order to receive your severance, you need to sign, you have to sign whatever release your employer has put to you. Um, and so that's that's certainly not that's not always the case. And so um, I've had a lot. For example, if your your employer um, need must pay you your Employment Standards Act minimums, no matter what, they can't require you to sign a release in exchange for that. And so though that that severance that you're owed, no matter what. Um, your, is your minimums. And so in, uh, they can't force you to sign that release. But in, in s- some circumstances, um, if you're not getting paid more than your severance, than your minimum entitlements, um, then you, you absolute, your employer absolutely cannot uh, force you to sign a release in order to, to receive that. So a, a lot of people are coming to me and, and saying, well, I, I, I need to sign this release now. I need to accept this offer in order right. to get anything. And, and that's not the case. Um, but you should certainly have that situation reviewed by an employment lawyer because um, in signing it, if you do sign a release, um, sometimes uh, that in signing the release, you're giving up your right to pursue the full severance. So it's important before signing anything that you uh, you speak with an employment lawyer. And, and and to your point, something you said earlier on in the show, Mackenzie, are you seeing this more and more uh, lately as a, as a kind of a pressure tactic as a result of maybe the economy and, and things are going bad for employers, so they're looking for a quick fix to save, uh, save a few bucks and say, oh, you got to do this, you got to do this now, and away we go. Yeah, exactly. And so it goes it goes both ways. And so mm-hmm. employees are feeling that pinch too, that that pressure as well. And so um they they may feel pressured to accept um what's on the table just to have yeah. something right away and and um often you may be giving up uh significant amounts of money if if you do that. So it's always worthwhile speaking with an employment lawyer and getting uh, a better sense of what your options are, um, because some, you know, it, 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 it's, it could be the difference between eight weeks and, and 24 months. Yeah. Huge. Let's get to uh, an email in between, uh, things we're going to talk about, uh, today. This one from Maury says, uh, Hey Mackenzie, I was placed on a layoff three weeks ago, but my boss keeps calling and emailing me with questions about the project I've been working on, which has required me to do a lot of work while I've been laid off, including finishing a report. Uh, I haven't been paid for any of this work. Is there anything I can do? Wow. Uh, (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. So um, there's a lot going on here. So uh, being placed on the temporary layoff in the first place is is likely illegal. And it could be a constructive dismissal, um, depending on whether there's a term in your layoff provision in your employment contract and, and whether they... Um, got your permission to to place you on that temporary layoff in the first place. Um, that very well could be a constructive dismissal, um, and, and you could uh, pursue severance on, based on the, on that. But certainly, this is interesting because the entire purpose of placing an employee on a temporary layoff is that you no longer, um, you know, there's a shortage of work or 
um, you don't need their services. And so uh, by require by doing that and still requiring them to work, that's a very fishy situation. Um, you are 100% entitled to be paid for that work. Um, it's it's improper for an employer to require you or to require you to work while you're on a temporary layoff. But above that, uh, the Employment Standards Act requires the employer to pay you w- your wages for any work completed for the company. And so there's actually a provision in the Ontario uh, in the Employment Standards Act that even if this gentleman is just answering a few emails here in uh, an email here and there um, every other day or so, let's say for example, you're actually could be entitled to up to three hours of of pay wow. for each for each instance that you've performed work for the company. Um, it's I, I'm I'm concerned that he's he's even finished a, a report. Um, so that <laughs> I mean I would assume that's more than just a couple hours of work. Um, and so certainly, um, uh, Maury should be reaching out to to uh, to our office in order to schedule a consultation because absolutely he's entitled to pay. Maury, nicely done. Here's the phone number to uh, carry further. Carry forth one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. We'll get back to uh, more things to talk about here in just a moment. In the meantime, Employment Law Show continues. Hang on. If you want to reach out to Mackenzie Irwin afterwards at the firm anytime. one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. The email is help at employmentlawyer.ca. And that website you can always go to. It'll teach you about uh, a lot of what we talk about here on the show weekly, uh, daily for that matter. And there's also the severance calculator for you to use, which is absolutely free and anonymous. All that can be found, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. I want to get into a few of these, pal, before we uh, wrap up for the day in just a bit. But that is no, your employer is not allowed to, first one, change your pay or your job description or your hours of work. This includes being laid off. Tell me about it. Yeah, yeah. These are all very common grounds for a constructive dismissal. And so your employer is not allowed to make substantial changes to your pay, uh, your job description or your your job title uh, or your hours of work. And so that also includes putting on a temporary layoff, which would eliminate your pay and your hours of work without um, a contractual right to do so. So in terms of, of what what constitutes a substantial change? Um, now, a construct. Well, first of all, if you've been constructively dismissed, you're entitled to treat that as a termination and pursue your severance. And so, it's a very tricky, um, delicate line that you're you're dealing with. And so, it's something that you shouldn't take lightly, and you shouldn't um, act on unless you've had your situation reviewed by an employment lawyer. Um, because if you resign or you do, you take any drastic action without, and, and it doesn't actually turn out to be a uh, constructive dismissal, you could have, uh, you you may have given up your rights um, to to severance. So substantial changes, um, a, a substantial reduction in your pay, and so not just a, a, a minor; it should it has to be significant. Um, but a demo in terms of your job description, any kind of demotion. I see this all the time where employers are trying to force employees into a lower or lesser role um, using an excuse like uh, we're just reorganizing or we're just um, um, we're just um, making slight changes. And 
oftentimes that does result in in a change in let's say um, reporting structure or you're now your job title is now what your direct reports job title used to be um, that's something that's quite substantial and you can treat that as a a constructive dismissal and and pursue your severance if that is happening to you so you should certainly reach out to an employment lawyer and have that reviewed Another one is this: No, you're not. Uh, no, your employer is not allowed to put you on probation after you're already passed a probationary period. Yeah, there's so much confusion with this. Three months, six months. Does I have to be written? Am I on probation? Do I get anything if I'm let go during the probation? But uh, clear that up a little bit, Mackenzie. Yeah, there's lots of confusion around probationary periods, and so um, uh, the maximum probationary period that an employer can have is is three months. Um, and if you have a term in your contract that says you're, the first three months are probationary and we can let you go during that time, your employer can terminate your employment during that three-month period without providing you a severance. And the purpose of that is that probationary periods are, are kind of a tryout for both the employee and the employer to make sure that it's a, it's a good fit. Um, af- anytime after that three-month period, you're owed severance. And so I've seen many employment contracts that that uh, purport to have six, seven months of probationary right. period. Um, and the contract actually states, you know, in that s- six months, uh, we can let you go without paying you anything. And that is absolutely, uh, that's illegal. Uh, they cannot have that long of a probationary period and any time after that three months, um, you're at, you're 100% entitled to severance. So it, it is a really important distinction to make. But um, I have seen, uh, especially when an employee uh, is having some sort of performance issues, where mm-hmm. an employer uh, will place that employee back on a probation, uh, probationary period, uh, after three months of severance, so, or sorry, three months of, of work there. So, you know, a year or two years into your employment and your employer cannot put you on back onto into a probationary period. No. Absolutely not. And so employers are trying, sometimes trying to do this to show you how serious whatever performance issues um, are, but it's incorrect for them to be uh, labeling it as a new probationary period. Um, And if they're doing that and they're saying that they can let you go during that time without providing you a severance there, that that's illegal and you are absolutely entitled to severance. So that is a very tricky one. It's, it's often, it's quite confusing and it's often um, uh, employers get it wrong all the time, but as long as you understand uh, the it can only probationary periods can only be for the for the first three months maximum yep. for the first three months and it has to be very clearly outlined in your employment contract. Let's grab a quick call before we uh, wrap up for the uh, the day. Scott, thanks for hanging on, pal. What's uh, what's going on with you today? Great, thanks for taking the call. Uh, quick question in regards to if an employer decided to change and take away a vehicle allowance midway through the pandemic because it was deemed that the worker was shifting to remote work. Is that something that's um, pursuable in terms of, are they allowed to do that? Sorry, they're taking away what allowance? 
A vehicle, a vehicle allowance. allowance. Vehicle oh. allowance. Um, so it, it depends. I, off the, uh, it depends on how much that vehicle allowance is and how much you rely on it. It also will depend on uh, how long it's been since they took it away. So if, if they've taken it away a, a long time ago, for example, at the beginning of the pandemic, and you've just been working without saying anything or rejecting that change... You may have been uh, seen to have uh, condoned that change, but certainly if it's a substantial part of your compensation, then this could be a constructive dismissal and you could be um, entitled to to severance or, or you might have some legal recourse there. Um, but you should certainly reach out and we can take a look at that uh, in more detail um, if, you, if you'd like to schedule a co- uh, an appointment with us to, to discuss it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate uh, appreciate your time. And here's how you reach out to uh, to make and Mackenzie going forward in that regard. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Again, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. That's a good way to wrap it up for the day. Reaching out that phone number. You can also reach Mackenzie at help at employmentlawyer.ca. Drop her an email. No problem there. No commitment. And then pocketemploymentlawyer.ca for all other matters, including access to the severance calculator, free, anonymous, and used by over two million people to find out really exactly what your severance should be. We'll catch you next time on the Employment Law Show.